1: Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Germany in Focus, where we break down what's going on across the country and what everyone is talking about. We're recording this on Wednesday, November the 2nd. Today, we're talking about the weather and why it was so warm at the end of October. We'll be looking at what support Germany is offering tenants in the cost of living crisis and asking whether it goes far enough. We'll also hear an update on the plans to change the dual citizenship laws that the German government is going to be debating soon. Plus, we'll talk about a row in Berlin about whether a busy shopping street should have cars on it or not, and the wider debate on a car-free capital city. We'll also dig into the German love of cars and driving and what's behind it. And we're going to talk about some events happening around the country this November that you should check out. I'm your host, Rachel Loxton, and today I'm here in Berlin with journalists Imogen Goodman and Aaron Burnett. I'll also be talking to Anna Batz, who's part of the Car Free Berlin campaign group later on. Hello, everyone.
2: Hello. Hello.
1: Let's get straight into what's been in the news this week. And we're starting with the weather because it's been a bit weird recently. My parents were visiting at the weekend and we were all wearing T-shirts at the end of October, which none of us expected. It was around 22 degrees in Berlin. Imogen, what's going on? It was apparently the warmest October
2: on record, right? Yeah, that's right. It's actually been incredibly warm um, over the past few weeks. And I've definitely been living uh, my jacket home or bringing it and then realizing that I just didn't need it at all. Actually, we've seen that the average temperature has been about 12.5 degrees, which actually doesn't sound that warm. But according to meteorologists, that's about three degrees warmer than normal. And that's just the average temperatures. Like you said, some parts of the country have been getting up to much, much higher temperatures. Some parts of the country have even been recording temperatures of 25 degrees centigrade or so, which is, is technically the definition. Of a summer day, and it definitely has felt like that. What's really incredible is that in Freiburg, so in Baden-Württemberg, down in the southwest, they even posted a temperature of 29 degrees the other day, just last week. Oh my goodness it's really something that I think a a lot of us have been quite enjoying, but there is a worrying side to it. Apparently, warmer Octobers are becoming a lot more frequent recently. And what's particularly weird about this one is that the highest temperatures have actually occurred at the end of the month, which is completely the wrong way round. So of course, this is a sign of climate change. And it could be a sign of what we have to look forward to in the future.
1: I see. So yeah, so this is climate change, which is not good. But but I guess this is having a positive effect on the energy crisis in a way because people won't be putting on their heating. Uh,
3: definitely. Gas storage in Germany is essentially full and it's already the beginning of November. We've also seen some numbers indicating that people in Germany have reduced their gas use by huge amounts, no doubt helped by the warm weather that we've been having. According to one survey, by 36% uh, over... The last few years. So that's good news for Germany's continued support and solidarity to Ukraine during the Russian invasion. And it will hopefully come with just a little bit of relief in the household budget, which we'll be talking a bit about later this episode
2: as well.
1: Interesting. But the weather is starting to change a bit now, right? We're not going to keep having these hot temperatures.
2: Yeah, there have definitely been one or two nippier days uh, recently, though I think we are still set to have a slightly warmer start to November than usual. I think things are likely to cool down by the end of the month, though, and apparently we're in for a pretty cold spell in December.
1: Wow. Aaron, how do you feel about that?
3: I don't know, ladies. I'm Canadian. and a cold spell is all relative and i'll probably still be using my light jacket into the early bits of december the winter coat usually gets pulled out in time for very warming glue vine which we will be drinking soon to keep warm hopefully relying on it maybe a little bit more than our heating which we've been told to keep off as much as possible so there's always a solution
1: Lots of people in Germany have financial worries at the moment over the cost of living and energy crisis. One group in particular has been a focus this week, and that's people who rent their homes. A new report by Germany's Expert Commission on Gas and Heat has proposed that tenants get six months of protection against being evicted if they can't pay their energy bills. And that's because of the rising prices that we're seeing. So the government is likely to move forward with this proposal. But What else is Germany doing to help renters during this time? And is it enough? Aaron, there has been various support for tenants announced or proposed over the last few months. Can you tell us a bit more about it?
3: So, Rachel, the Expert Commission essentially picked this length of time, six months, as you just said, because that's when we're expecting the government's so-called housing benefits plus payment. So a little bit of extra uh, support for people who need it, but it will take some time to pay that out. The commission says until tenants get that, they should be protected from eviction. But we should note here, this is just advice that they're giving to the government. This isn't necessarily what the government is actually planning to do with that advice. So we'll have to wait and see on that. It also wants to see a gas price cap uh, from March which the federal government has now confirmed is going to happen. We're going to see a cap on the price of gas come into effect on the 1st of March for private households in Germany. For industries, they'll get it a little bit earlier. They'll get it on 1st of January. The government is also bringing in a big increase to Wohngeld. So what that is, is that's a housing benefit. The increase will be an extra €190 a month or so on average, and it will come into effect starting in January, so at the beginning of 2023. Wohngeld is essentially a support payment for people who are low income and spend a large proportion of their earnings on rent. But also, quite crucially, you can't qualify for it if you receive other government money. That could be job seekers allowance. That could even be stipends from the government if you're a student. So these people who are already in a rather vulnerable financial situation aren't eligible for a support payment like Wohngeld, for example.
1: Okay, so you would have to check that out individually to see if you can apply for that. Yes. OK, and what about rent increases? So in my home country of Scotland, for example, rent hikes have actually been frozen until at least spring next year to help people. Is anything like that happening in Germany, do we know?
3: Not quite to the same extent, Rachel. Now, we do know that Germany is a fairly strong country when it comes to how much you can raise rents by to begin with. But there is no rent freeze in a wide way that we've seen, like, for example, in places like Scotland. What we have seen is a moratorium or two. Around 13 million people in Germany live in a property owned or managed by a member of the German Association of Housing and Real Estate Companies. Now, that association, of about 3,000 companies has said that no member will kick out a tenant this winter if that tenant can't pay their so-called nebenkosten, their utility costs. The city-state of Berlin has also announced a similar eviction moratorium for state-owned housing, but we've not seen any major discussion of whether there should be a nationwide moratorium on kicking out tenants who can't pay their nebenkosten or a rent freeze, a general rent freeze here.
1: Interesting. And one issue that we've written about and we've received emails about from readers is so-called index meter. And these are rents that are linked to inflation. And that means that they can go up or down depending on the inflation rate. Why is this a major problem at the moment, Imogen?
2: Well, in contrast to ordinary rental contracts, uh, which generally link to market rates, as you mentioned, these index meter are linked to inflation and inflation is incredibly high right now. These can be raised at least once per year. And what's particularly problematic about them is that there's no clarity at the moment on whether they're subject to ordinary rent controls, which can cap the amount that rents can be raised by. So it's kind of a double whammy for tenants at the moment, because as Aaron mentioned, you've got neben costs in. So the price of things like gas, electricity, all of that going up drastically right now. And at the same time, you might have your rents raised by something like 7 8%, which is also Um, a huge leap in a short period of time.
1: Wow, that's a big problem. And we do know that tenants' rights groups are asking the government to, to announce a cap on that, but it's still a bit up in the air at the moment, right?
3: Well, we have asked the housing ministry if anything is in the works Mm -hmm. on on something like this, and they referred us to the justice ministry. So (laughs) there is no real evidence yet at the moment that even the government has quite sorted out what it wants to do about this. Uh, We are in new territory in Germany with respect to inflation. Most of post-war German history had an inflation target of 2%, and often... That was a very successful inflation target even after Germany ended up joining the euro. So we're in new territory. However, we have spoken to experts with the German Institute for Economic Research who say they're not expecting inflation to stabilize for another year at least. And that depends on what happens in Ukraine or if China eases its zero COVID policy, obviously things that people here in Germany can't Mm -hmm. control. And when you keep breaking inflation records of close to 10%, you have a big problem if your wages aren't keeping pace.
1: Absolutely. And um, the key thing for this is check your rental contract and get in touch with a uh, Meetverein, uh, a tenants' rights group, for any advice, I would say. Germany is getting ready to overhaul its citizenship laws. One of the biggest changes under the plans is that non-EU nationals will be able to hold more than one nationality when they apply to become German. There are also plans to change the requirements for when you can apply to naturalise in Germany. Aaron, you've managed to get a few more details on the plans being put forward by the coalition government for debate in the Bundestag next month. What can you tell us?
3: So I spoke this week with Hakan Demir, an SPD, parliamentarian for Berlin Neukölln and the rapporteur for this draft law. What that means is that the ministry uh, has a point person in parliament for discussions about that law. That's who, who he is. Mm-hmm. And I spoke to him about what exact reforms we might expect to see and what he'll be pushing for. Now, Remember that he comes from the same party, the Social Democrats, as the Interior Minister who will be presenting this law. Uh, So they will have definitely been in touch already, and we can probably expect a lot of his input to be evident in the law when we get to see it. Number one, Demir is pushing for B2-level German or social integration to be the main yardstick for whether someone would be able to naturalize early. So after three years once the new law is passed, rather than the six years that it is currently.
1: Wow, so that's for fast-track.
3: Yeah, that's right. That's for fast-track citizenship, if you can prove language proficiency or social integration. Absent fast-track, so non-fast-track, the wait for naturalization will still go down. It'll go down to five years. Right now, that's eight, so a big change uh, on that. Second, he clarified that the right to dual citizenship would go both ways, so German citizens naturalizing in a non-EU country can keep their German passport instead of giving it up like they generally have to do now.
1: Wow. Big update. So, are there any points that are still uncertain within the coalition parties?
3: Where we might see some conflict is in how many generations the right to citizenship extends. So, if someone naturalizes as German under this new law, their kids will still be able to claim German citizenship, but perhaps their grandkids would have to choose between being German and any other citizenship they might be entitled to. The FDP, which governs with the SPD and the Greens, is apparently pushing for this sort of generational cutoff. Demir says the SPD and the Greens don't want that cutoff, but this may get re-examined later because they don't want to hold up what they say is a necessary reform that's very urgent.
1: And what does he say about people who've been in Germany for decades and haven't been able to get a German passport because they don't want to give up their home country passport? Does he have any kind of update for for this group of people?
3: So this piece of draft legislation is obviously very significant to our readership and definitely to the guest worker generation, or the so-called guest worker generation that came to Germany a lot in the early 60s, many from Turkey. This generation, for people who have been here a long time, He's advocating for faster naturalization that's absent a lot of the proof that you typically have to give in order to naturalize as German. So he says if you've been in Germany for decades in this case, you shouldn't have to present proof of German proficiency or integration to be able to naturalize in this particular case.
1: Excellent. So that would be a big change and a kind of special route for people who are affected.
3: Yeah, yeah, it's a very significant piece of legislation for a lot of people.
1: And is this set in stone then, or do you think there'll be some changes?
3: I think we can expect a lot of the big things to stay in because the parliamentarians that we've spoken to from all three government parties are really in congruence and agreement on the big stuff. So they all seem to agree that three years should be the big date for naturalization early if you can prove language proficiency and special integration, and also that dual citizenship should, in principle, be allowed to everyone, including non-EU nationals. There could be some differences on very small details or nitpicky bits of this law. As it gets debated, we have to remember we haven't seen it. The Interior Ministry has not presented it yet and the Bundestag has not yet debated it. So there is still time for there to be changes, and parliamentarians encourage you to write in to your local member if you have any particular concerns.
1: Great. And the law change is expected next year sometime, if things go to plan, right?
3: If things go to plan, and the Interior Ministry presents this law in December, as we are expecting then parliamentarians we've spoken to say summer, most likely, is when we would see this actual change get past the Bundestag.
2: Excellent. Thank you for that update, Aaron. You're welcome. Yeah, it's amazing to think that it's uh, going to change so soon. I know how important this has been to so many people, uh, not least of all Brits after Brexit, who are in Germany at the moment and felt that maybe they'd lost their EU citizenship forever. And as you mentioned, the guest worker generation, people who have been here for years, unable to vote, unable to participate politically. I'm personally very, very excited about this change. I think it's gonna be huge for so many migrants in Germany.
3: Politically speaking, there's a big one. It's, uh, we've run into an estimate that up to 10 million people live in Germany, um, in many cases for years and years and years, without the ability to vote in state, national or European elections.
1: Absolutely. Thank you both. We'll be back after this short break. Our listeners who live in Berlin or have visited the capital will probably have been to Friedrichstrasse, one of the city's biggest shopping streets and also of historical importance. It's still home to Checkpoint Charlie, which was a famous crossing point from West to East Berlin and is now a tourist attraction. But the street has been in the news because of traffic or lack of it. Quite a large part of Friedrichstrasse has been closed off to cars by the Berlin local government since summer 2020, but Court ruling last week means that cars could return. And although this is about one street in Berlin, it feeds into one of the most heated debates in Germany at the moment the future of mobility and how we get around.
2: Imogen, first of all, could you tell us a bit more about this story in Berlin? Sure. Well, yeah, Friedrichstrasse is one of the busiest streets in Berlin. Um, It basically travels from north to south through the heart of the city. And it's also a huge draw for tourists. There's Galleries Lafayette, the big. Mole there, there's Checkpoint Charlie, as well as being a huge thoroughfare for kind of cars, cyclists, pedestrians, kind of everyone. So the Senate actually decided to close it to traffic in August 2020. Um, And since then, it's basically been for cyclists and pedestrians. So this is actually quite a popular move with a lot of people, but not everyone's been happy with it. There's actually a campaign group called Save Friedrichstrasse that was set up by a local shop owner who was unhappy with the effect that she said this change was having on footfall. So she actually raised a complaint with the administrative court and... A few weeks ago, on the 24th of October, they actually found the Senate's pedestrianisation plans to be currently unlawful. The issue is, really, that the Senate currently doesn't have a proper legal basis to do what they're doing. So they've applied for part of the street to be blocked off to traffic permanently on the basis of improving the environment and making it a more pleasant place to be, just all in all. Mm -hmm. Um, But unfortunately, that process hasn't been completed yet, and until then, the only legal they would have for closing the street to traffic is actually road safety.
1: Interesting. So are cars going to return to Friedrichstrasse?
2: Well, that all really depends on what happens next. So the Senate definitely does want to... come up with a response to this court decision. Um, One option that they might have is to raise it in the higher administrative court. Now, that could be slightly tricky because they do have big plans for Friedrichstrasse to make it kind of maybe even a cyclist free zone. And if they then get another court decision that goes against them, that could really jeopardize those plans and means they have to reopen it to uh, traffic uh, forever. We will know more on November 8th when the Senate has said that they're going to come up with and response.
1: It's tricky, isn't it? Because in this case, some shop owners obviously feel they want the street to be busier, they want cars back. But the transport and mobility issue is a huge one in Germany. And there's often rows between drivers, cyclists and pedestrians, isn't there?
2: Yeah, definitely. Actually, this kind of thing can get really tribal. Um, So on the one hand, what you've got is this push to move away from cars uh, to more climate friendly forms of transport, because, you know, we're facing this issue with climate change, with trying to reduce emissions. Uh, so there, there is a push from the government and, in fact, a lot of the public um, to kind of transition towards things like public transport, cycling. But at the same time, there is a pushback from people who really are used to using their cars, who rely on them. And it can get quite heated. Um, so one good example is the case of Boris Palmer, who's the mayor of Tübingen in Baden-Württemberg. He actually managed to hike parking fees in the middle of the city quite a few months ago. Um, and was accused of having a vendetta against car drivers after this. Um, Boris Palmer, incidentally, is known for being pictured on his bike a lot. He He's a very avid cyclist. Uh, funny thing about this story is that the parking fees were only about €30 Euros a year to start with. Yes, he times them by six, but this ended up being €180 Euros a year, which isn't really much if you think about how much a parking permit might cost in another major European city like London, for example. In any case, it's just always difficult to battle these competing interests. You know, it's really about the amount of space that different forms of mobility take up in our cities and who that space belongs to.
1: Excellent. And this is a good time to hear from Anna Batz, who is from the campaign group Autofrei Berlin or Car Free Berlin. They are aiming to hold a referendum on whether central Berlin should see a massive reduction in the number of private cars. So Anna, what do you think about the recent ruling that could see cars return to Friedrichstrasse? I'm interested in what you think about it. So, of course, uh, we always like if there are car-free streets in
4: Berlin because it makes it very easy for people to imagine a car-free Berlin. However, it's such a small project. We are talking about 500 meters on one street in a very commercial area. And our criticism is that for a real mobility transition, we need a reduction of cars to have the positive effects, to have a um, higher quality of life, more space for humans. We need a reduction of cars and you don't get that with 500 meters car-free streets because no one decides not to buy a car or to sell a car because of that. And therefore, we are not devastated that this didn't work because overall, we think that we need different measures like the ones we are proposing in our law for like larger care-free area. What is Otto Berlin, the the campaign group? What is it that you actually want to see ideally? It's a very good question. So currently, if you you uh, live in Berlin and you get out of the house where your apartment is in, you walk against a wall of cars. And that, of course, affects a lot of people because with fewer cars, you could have more space for different activities. It would be safer to be mobile. It would be more easy to be environmental friendly mobile because it's really dangerous for bikes currently. It would be a better situation for kids. They could be more independent and could be outside alone without like the dangers of being overdriven by a car all the time. So, this is our vision that all these things are possible, that we have better air quality. And what we are trying to do is to reduce the amount of cars within the Berlin S Bahn Ring, which is an area which is very good with regard to public transport but it's also large areas, So it does matter. And it does matter with regard to the decision whether you buy a car or you sell a car. So this is what we're proposing, basically. And there are some special rules for people who rely on their car, but we can also talk about that later.
1: Interesting. So what you're talking about is really no private cars in the Berlin S-Bahn zone, but there would be exceptions, right? Yeah,
4: yeah, that's true. So we are talking about car reduction. We are not exactly sure, but we think 60 to 80% fewer cars, which would make a difference, (laughs) of course. And there are some exceptions for groups of persons that depend or rely on their car which are for example craftsmen because they need to transport stuff and it's just not possible to do so without car and also persons with disabilities for them they just need their car to be uh, mobile and for those uh, persons it would be a win because currently they often stuck in traffic and if you're sitting in a wheelchair and you use the car to be mobile but then you need to park 500 away from your destination it's not really better than going by bus sometimes so Mm-hmm. for them, it will get easier with regard to traffic and also parking. And we specified in our law which groups of persons would get such an allowance. But there's also a ruling for those cases we didn't consider because we just didn't think about that. And so they can also apply. Interesting. Um, and that would change the whole face of Berlin, really, wouldn't it? Yeah, we think it would yeah, maybe not change the character of Berlin, because I don't think that the specific charm of Berlin is due to the cars. I just think it would change or enhance the the quality of living, basically, and would also help us to make the city uh, resilient for climate change, to have like more trees and de areas and so on, which is really important because it's getting hotter and hotter also
1: in Berlin. Yes. So you're aiming for a referendum to be held. Is that right? Can you explain where you're at with that at the moment? Yeah, so I
4: already told you we wrote this law and um, then we collected in the first phase more than 50,000 signatures of people who are in favor of that. And of course, it doesn't sound so much because there are more than 3 million people living in Berlin, but I need to say that we are all doing this on a voluntary basis. And so these signatures were all collected by people in their private time. I'm also doing this interview in my private time now, actually. So then comes this phase where the law is checked by an authority which we are currently in and if the decision is positive for us which we do expect then we can get to the second phase of collecting signatures where we will need even more like 175,000 valid ones. And then we could have the referendum. So that means people really go to voting polls and say yes or no. And if we win that, then our law would be enforced with a transitional period of four years, which we put into our law to make it fair for
1: people to have like a planning horizon. Wow. And so we've seen with Friedrichstrasse, which you said is such a small area, and there's this big debate and kind of row about whether. This area should have cars or not. Do you think that people would accept your proposal of Berlin having so much fewer cars? Yeah, I think some things with regard to Friedrichstraße
4: didn't work really well. But I don't want to blame the Senat so much because I just think we need these learning experiences, how to design those areas so that it works for everyone. And also it was COVID, so um, it's not really a very normal situation. And actually, I do think that in Berlin, people are really fed up by traffic because it's really chaotic and stressful for people here. People are dying after every year. And as I already said, it's a really bad situation for kids, cars are getting bigger and bigger and for kids it's nearly impossible to be outside alone without uh, yeah, dramatical dangers. So our neighbors, they have kids and they go in a school which is like three houses in this direction and they go with their kids because they think it's too dangerous actually because there's one, one crossing. So actually I think people are really fed up with the current situation and it's really possible that people would vote a favor to our law. However, we still have to consider that it's not only a rational decision people make, and especially in Germany, people are really in love with their cars. But it does also depend. Urban areas are less bound to cars and people are less attracted to cars than in, in the countryside. Anna,
1: that was so interesting. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Great to hear from Anna Batz there. So Berlin is a busy city with lots of public transport, but the situation is very different in rural areas, right? People need cars.
3: Yeah, and that can be hard to forget when you live in Berlin and you have access to a public transport system that, depending on the ranking you look at, regularly makes the top 10 in the world. But if you look at other parts of Germany, we are seeing uh, many, many, many parts of rural Germany that have, they might get a bus an hour, Actually, we're looking at one one study that we uh, looked into some time ago, found that only about 27 million of Germany's 83 million uh, actually had access to, you know, a really good local regional public transport system. So that's a massive section of the country that uh, is potentially underserved by public transport options and therefore uh, really needs a car to be able to have uh, appropriate mobility.
1: Yes, and and let's talk a bit about German autobahns and the love of driving in Germany, because it could be called a car-obsessed country. Do you agree, Imogen?
2: It absolutely could. As most people know, uh, the the car industry in Germany is huge, and it's actually a huge source of national pride to have companies like BMW and Volkswagen here in and Germany. Jobs. And jobs, absolutely. A huge, uh, you know, it's a huge boon to the economy. Um, And this really feeds into this sense of kind of national identity. Obviously, what a lot of foreigners know, people who don't necessarily even live in Germany, is that on parts of the Autobahn, uh, so the motorway, you can actually uh, drive as fast as you want. There's actually no speed limit. There is a recommendation uh, that people drive under 130 kilometers an hour. So that's about 80 miles an hour. But if you don't, then you're unlikely. To face any sort of speeding fine.
1: Have either of you driven on the Autobahn as fast as you want out of interest?
2: Oh, yeah. Really?
3: Yeah, and it's fun. I'm not going (laughs) to lie to you.
1: What's your experience then? Do you think, are there large parts of the Autobahn where you can drive as fast as you want? What was your experience?
3: Well, uh, it's hard to say precisely because of course there's many sections of the German Autobahn I will not have driven on. I'm not sure how many people have experience with every possible Autobahn around the country that you could possibly experiment with, I guess. But I have driven, uh, for example, one large stretch from Amsterdam in the Netherlands actually all the way to Berlin. So the whole length of the country passed on. Past Hanover. And I didn't actually notice that many sections of the Autobahn that had no limit. Most had some sort of limit, either because you were passing a nearby city or you were going over some bridge or some hill or there was some other hazard that you needed to keep in mind Mm -hmm. of so speed Mm -hmm. was uh, reduced. So in actual fact, it's a big debate. And sometimes I wonder if it's a bit overdone in either direction. Would a speed limit really make a huge difference um, to people either way? I Mm -hmm. sometimes ask myself that question. As fun as it is to not have a speed limit, and trust me, it is.
1: (laughs) <laughs> we can we believe you. <laughs> um, the route about introducing a general speed limit in Germany has been going on for years, as you touched on Aaron. And the Green Party, for example, have been pushing for 130 kilometer per hour tempo limit on the Autobahn. But they've not had any success in moving forward with this, have they, Imogen?
2: No, they haven't. This was um, another one of those victims of the uh, coalition discussions between the Green Party, the SPD, and the FDP. So essentially, uh, the Greens were really, really pushing for this. This was one of their kind of pledges. But on the other hand, the FDP were dead set against it. And actually, what happened is that the FDP made it a red line in their negotiations. So the coalition pact couldn't really move forward unless the Greens agreed to scrap this pledge.
1: And one of the measures put forward earlier this year to save on fuel and reduce energy dependence on Russia was to introduce a temporary speed limit. It seemed like there was a lot of support for that.
2: Yeah, yeah, there definitely was. So a poll by broadcaster ARD actually found that around 60% uh, of the people they surveyed were in favour of this, um, particularly in the context of reducing that dependency on Russia. Interestingly enough, older people were far more in favour of it than young people but maybe we can assume that like Aaron they're the ones who are <laughs> getting up to high speeds on the autobahn a bit more often
3: whoa it's a it's a great rush and um, you can get somewhere quickly and it's very efficient but let's not underestimate the number of omas there are on the autobahn <laughs> that enjoy driving fast either i know mine would have <laughs> or certainly did on her visits to germany
1: thank you very much both of you Our Germany in Focus podcast is free to listen to, but it's made possible by readers becoming members of the local Germany. If you're not yet a member, you can support us by heading to thelocal.de and subscribing with the reduced rate for podcast listeners at thelocal.de forward slash podcast offer. It's November already, so let's take a wee look at some interesting things going on in Germany. Germany. Aaron, do you have a recommendation this month?
3: Well, Rachel, it's November in Germany, and that means the Christmas markets will be open soon. And I'm ready. Ex- yes. Hey, I pay no attention to the people who say it's too early. I pay no attention. Mariah Carey is already playing in my house, and many of those Christmas markets will start up around the 21st. That seems to be a regular date for many of them, 21st, 28th sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But there are always a few, at least one or two, in a lot of major places in Germany, that go up right after halloween and there is as i've said before no better way to warm oneself than through wine and maybe a few you know cookies and chocolates <laughs> Those special heart ones that have icing messages. Yeah, written the like, on
2: the, the cooking ones. Yes, yeah. yes, that's it. Maybe some caramelized nuts as well. Those are my favourites at the Christmas market.
1: And we're just realising that Aaron's passion for wine and glühwein is huge. We're hearing about it in every episode, which we love.
3: <laughs> that's true. Hey, uh, that's that's my goal going forward. <laughs>
1: Great.
2: And Imogen, what about you? Are there any events that you like the look of? Well, well, Aaron's clearly looking forward to Christmas already and so am I. I'm not actually ready yet for autumn to be over. I haven't eaten nearly enough pumpkin and made nearly enough pumpkin risotto. Uh, so to celebrate my love for pumpkins, I'm actually planning a visit down south to Baden-Württemberg to go to the Ludwigsburg Pumpkin Festival. And this is exactly what it sounds like. Just a big celebration of all things. Things pumpkin. There are apparently hundreds of thousands of pumpkins used in this uh, in this festival, which is basically one giant art exhibit. So you basically have pumpkin artists making huge sculptures and scenes in the beautiful grounds of uh, Ludwigsburg Castle, all made out of pumpkins. I've learned a lot about this. That apparently there are thousands of different varieties of uh, pumpkin involved, and if you work up an appetite uh, looking around the art exhibits, you can eat some delicious pumpkin dishes um, there afterwards. So it's just a yeah, great way to kind of cap off autumn, I think.
3: So these artists basically look at jack-o'-lantern carvings and say amateurs...
1: Absolutely. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> this is amazing. The dedication to pumpkins yes. in Germany is something very special.
3: It
2: is very special.
1: Great. And I like the sound of the Hamburger Winterdome, which is happening this month. And you can get on some carnival rides. You can get loads of food and drink, including Schmalzkuchen or lard cake, which is a bit like a donut, but more kind of in the shape of a diamond or a square. And the history of this fair goes back over 700 years, apparently. And I'm a big fan of Hamburg because I love the Beatles, and I would really recommend the Beatles tour there, if you get the chance, the walking tour.
3: As well, I will take a break from the Reaperbahn and go on yeah. the Beatles tour.
1: Okay. Yeah. Fantastic. That's all we've got time for this week. Thank you so much for listening. And you can check out the links in the show notes for the topics we've been covering and any developments in the stories. Thank you to this week's panelists, Imogen Goodman and Aaron Burnett, as well as Anna Batts and sound engineer Rhys Edwards. Remember, you can follow us on Twitter. Our username is Germany in Focus, And please rate us leave a review about the podcast if you enjoyed it on your podcast app. I'm Rachel Loxon and we'll be back again next Friday with a new episode of Germany in Focus. Until then, take care.